Hello and welcome to Movie Culture. So this week is a little bit different because it's been a terrible week, frankly. Um, and we're supposed to be recording Toy Story 3 today, but to be honest, I haven't really wanted to do anything except read and watch and just take in stories by Asian writers about Asian characters And so that's what we're doing today. We will be talking about Raya and the Last Dragon. The representation in Raya is not necessarily perfect, and that's something that we will talk about. But after what happened in Atlanta, it is just clearer than ever how necessary it is to see representation of Asian people and Asian women Also, this movie talks about the world being broken and tries to explain why the world is broken, and that also feels very resonant. So next week, we will be back with Toy Story 3, but this week, Raya. Tay, I want to start off by asking, how are you? You don't really know how I'm doing. (laughs) Um... I've gotten a lot of texts and messages asking, which is really nice, but I don't really know how to answer that. Six of the victims who were killed were Asian women, and four of them were Korean. And so it hits home. It hits close to home. So I'm feeling sad and angry and frustrated. (laughs) Although, as one of my friends put it, it's like the worst silver lining in the world because now people are actually talking about anti-Asian racism and listening and Asian women are sharing their stories. And I just really, really hope that that continues and it's not just this tiny little window that we have for people to pay attention that we only got because six Asian women died. And I just don't want us to go back to being invisible. So (laughs) I'm feeling a lot and I have a lot of thoughts, Um, but (laughs) I don't want this to be like the saddest podcast ever. (laughs) Um, And Raya's really great. And I I do just want to talk about a movie and and we'll obviously touch on this as we go through it but yeah this is a fun movie and I don't think that we'll do it justice if we just talk about how it's an Asian movie and that's that's the only thing about it because there's a lot more to it I'm so sorry Tay this has been such an impossible week and I'm absolutely heartbroken for you, for your community, and of course for the families and the women in Atlanta. I want you to know that I'm here for you and that I support you, and I cannot experience this the way that you are, but I can be here for you as best as I can. It can feel hopeless and useless as someone outside of the community, not knowing how to support or be an ally. And I certainly feel that way right now. 
for anyone else feeling that way, we will put into the show notes places to donate or other systems to support people who need support right now, as well as resources from Southeast Asian Voices who are talking about Raya and the Last Dragon. And mostly, I just want to send my love to everyone, and especially to you, Tay, because all we can do is to support each other. And I'm here for you for whatever you need. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm emotional again (laughs) this week. So let's just roll the the intro music. Let's go. (laughs) Then we'll we'll, uh, talk about it. Right, we have taken a quick break, a quick ice cream break, and we are ready to go again. And just as a heads up, this will definitely contain spoilers for Raya. Um, let's just start with a general sense. What did you think? I really liked it. I enjoyed it. It's a fun watch. It's really fun to see movies in the Disney vein. We're very used to these movies. And to get to explore other cultures in these movies, aside from everything about representation, and we'll get into that, it's just really fun to see a different movie and a different group of characters in a different world than we're used to. I really enjoyed it. What about you? What did you think? I think you're totally right. We've been so immersed in the world of like four Pixar guys. Uh huh. And they're all male worlds for a long time now. We've watched a lot of Pixar recently, guys. (laughs) As you might have noticed. (laughs) So this is very refreshing. Okay, so I think we should start talking about Raya the character, because she is just such a great protagonist. Yeah, I really liked her as a character. I really liked Kelly Marie Tran. She just did an incredible job with the voice acting. So good. I read so... Early in the process, I think in 2019, they announced that the voice actress was going to be a different actress. Yeah. And they brought on Kelly later because the character arc for Raya had changed. Huh. Raya originally was going to be what they called a stoic hero. And instead, she became a little bit lighter and snarkier. They said that they were kind of drawing inspiration from Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I think I think you can kind of see that in oh, Raya. Yeah. And holding up those two side by side, there's not as much snark to Raya mm-hmm. as there is for Star-Lord. There's not as much joking around just to troll people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she has a lot more depth and weight to her, even in the beginning, I think. Humor is a part of her character, but certainly not the entirety of her character, as it is with Star-Lord. But I do like that she does have levity to her, and I like that she has, she does carry a lot of guilt from showing Namari the dragon gem in the beginning of the movie, but it doesn't define her. It doesn't weigh her down so completely. She still understands that she was betrayed and it's not entirely her fault. And I think it would have been very easy for them to write her as if she's just carrying the whole weight of the world on her shoulders. And she has that. 
but she also still likes herself. She doesn't have that self-loathing that we see so often in that kind of character type. Yeah, she definitely is a lone hero sort of character. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because I do think it is a sharp distinction from other Disney princesses. But that lone hero typically feels the entire weight of the world on their shoulders and the guilt associated with that. And I can't think of another example of someone who understands that the world being in the state it's in is not their fault. And they have responsibilities that are not brought on by their own mistakes. Right. And I think it's it's significant that she still has this lightness. She can still joke around. She mm-hmm. still she feels remorse and guilt and trauma from what happened, but she's not just overcome with self-loathing. It makes her a much more realistic character because all of us in some way have some amount of guilt that we carry around or or mistakes that we've made that we remember, but we don't let that define us. And Raya is the same way, as opposed to other fewer dimensional characters who let the single thing we know about them define their entire life. Raya doesn't do that. Well, you know, I think it's it's really interesting because it feels like so often women are asked to carry these burdens, especially when other people betray them or wrong them and and mm-hmm. they're meant to take on that guilt themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even more magnified with Asian women. So it feels very powerful to have Raya and to have her acknowledge that this happened and that she played a part in it, mm-hmm. but it's not all entirely her fault. Yeah. And it it doesn't overcome her and it doesn't prevent her from seeing the world as it is. I think she's a really great character. What else did you like? Well, Raya obviously is fantastic, but I really enjoyed the characters who surround her. One thing I think this movie does really well is introducing characters who seem like they are there mostly for comic relief and then giving them depth. That's true with Sisu, and I want to get back to Sisu, but it's also really true with Boone, the 10-year-old chef boy, with Tong, the brute from the Spine faction, and the baby con artist. Each of those characters enter the movie, and it seems like they're just going to be comic relief. And they're pretty effective at comic relief, especially shouts to Boone. I just love that kid. I'm all in on that kid. But also, one thing that I really appreciate that this movie does is it doesn't let any of those characters remain two-dimensional. It gives them all additional depth and things that they want. Boone plays a really important role because he reminds Raya that Raya is not the only person who has lost something. And we have seen Raya as this lone hero, feeling like the entire weight of the world is on her shoulders. And it is up to these side characters to remind her that they also want the world to get back to the way it was. They want to fix the world, and they are willing and able to help her do that. I really appreciate the depth added to all of those characters. Yeah, I love the crew. I love a good ragtag crew. Love it. I also think that the movie did such a good job of introducing each of these characters because they're each from a different faction. And we're introduced to each character as the stereotype of their faction. This is a good point. So Raya goes to the floating village where she meets Noi, the baby. Mm -hmm. And she says, as she steps out into the floating village, she says, you know, it looks nice, but 
everyone here, it's just full of con artists and pickpockets. And we immediately meet the baby and her three monkeys and she cons them. So it seems on the surface to prove Raya right. Mm -hmm. But when Raya starts to get to know this character, even just a little bit below the surface, she comes to understand that Noi is only doing what she has to do to literally survive. Mm -hmm. And they form this alliance. And then the same thing happens with Tong in Spine. Raya is talking about how everyone there is very violent and scary. The first way that she meets Tong is he captures her and Sisu. He comes in with his axe. He's talking about how he's going to torture them. And again, she seems to be proven right. But when she just starts to get to know this character, she sees that he's really grieving because his whole entire community has turned to stone and he's the only one left. We really see through Raya's eyes how it's so easy to just see people on the surface and to only see the stereotype, but also how easy it is to go just one layer beneath that surface and to start to see people as they are, as humans, and that they're really not actually that different. They're just reacting to their environment and they're just trying to survive their environment. And of course, this was planted by Raya's father right at the beginning of the movie, and we understand it through him. He asks her what she knows about the other tribes, and she talks about the stereotypes that she's learned, the stories, the folklore about them. Then the other tribes arrive, and they're not quite so different. After all, the father says... They have stories about us, too. You can't necessarily believe those stories, right? You have to get past your stereotypes. So that's a thing that Raya fundamentally understands and we as the audience are prepared for. But still, when it happens, the power of moving past stereotypes still holds. Yeah, it's really an incredible way that they set it up because they tell us exactly what we should understand about stereotypes. And then once they have planted this idea... They go through and they start to show it. So they do both a tell and a show and, and they mm -hmm. they let us with Raya kind of have that journey. One thing I will say about this movie is it plants hard. <laughs> it's, it definitely does in a way that's a little bit it, unnecessary, maybe. It wants to make it really clear when it's setting something up so that it's important in the future. The one that we noticed most was when Sisu is talking about how she is a really good swimmer because she says a few times, my superpower is that I'm a really good swimmer, like a really, really good swimmer. Yeah, she's just saying it about three times in one scene. Yeah. And it based on that really aggressive planting, it doesn't pay off as much as I expected it to. Yeah, like two scenes later, it's important for a getaway sequence. But I really thought the climax of the movie was going to hinge on that. And uh, nope, it doesn't really. <laughs> but this movie, it can plant things like that. And when they don't pay off as much as you would hope, it feels a little silly. But also it plants things like the fundamental ideas of the movie about mm -hmm. stereotyping. And trust, which also is planted yeah. by the father in the these early scenes. Yeah, and that pays off quite handsomely. Yes. Speaking of Sisu, I want to talk a little bit about Aquafina. Talk about Aquafina. This role of the magical fictional being that is voiced by a comedian is a really famous one in Disney movies and is really the most famous part of a few movies. I'm thinking specifically of Robin Williams playing the genie in Aladdin and Eddie Murphy playing Mushu in Mulan. Aquafina, to me, 
is perfect in that tradition in the Sisu role. I also think that this role might have been, and I'm not saying I did no research on this, but I think this role might have been specifically built for her because I can't think of another actress so perfectly suited to that specific zany personality-driven role. Yeah, and even Sisu in her human form with those really long baggy sleeves kind of feels Aquafina-esque just in the way that she moves. And she was cast about a year before anyone else in the main cast. One thing I think that it's important to say as we're talking about the characters, however, is one of the criticisms about the movie. Aside from Kelly Marie Tran playing Raya, none of the other main adult characters are voiced by Southeast Asian actors or actresses. They are mostly voiced by East Asian actors and actresses. Yeah, so we're we're going to link a couple articles by Southeast Asian writers in our show notes, but... It does feel like a problem for a few reasons, first of which is kind of the frustrating feeling that Hollywood and the media in general and our culture more broadly in America lumps all Asians together and kind of just sees all of us as the same. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely not the case. And also, it's just the representation specifically for Southeast Asians in media is so egregiously low. Mm -hmm. And Southeast Asians, Southeast Asians and South Asians together make up 60% of the Asian American community. And when you look at the that ratio in comparison to the representation that we see in Hollywood, it's vastly different. It's difficult in this movie that clearly has paid attention to the need for representation in this specific community that they only go so far with that representation. Yeah, and it just Disney and a Disney princess movie is so huge that they didn't need A-list celebrities. People are going to see this movie regardless of who's in it. Yeah. And it was such a big opportunity for them to cast new actors and actresses and to really lift up Southeast Asian actors and actresses. And they didn't. And that's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Look, I love Daniel Day Kim. But I'm not watching this movie because Daniel Day Kim plays a very small voice role part. And they had the opportunity to put someone like Ali Wong into that Sisu role and have the rest Mm -hmm. be fully representative of Vietnamese, Thai, Indonesian, Cambodian, Laotian, Malaysian actors and actresses. And instead, they, they went a different route. And it is a little bit of a misstep in a movie that cares about representation. Yeah. And even like talking about Aquafina, I think Ali Wong would have been great, but I also think maybe they have this tradition of finding a big name comedian, but they don't have to do that. And just especially from a standpoint of having female Asian comedians, when there's just still such a strong stereotype that women and Asian women aren't funny, just to have Mm -hmm even more to lift up these voices because there are so many people trying to break in Mm -hmm. and there are so many people who are so talented and deserving of this. And I just wish that they had used this opportunity better. When you have the power of Disney, you can be the tide that lifts all boats. You don't have to attach yourself to the boats, even though, again, great boats. Yeah. And to be very clear, I'm not ever going to come here and say, anything negative about all of 
the actors and actresses in this movie. They're all phenomenal. We love all of them. We'll see anything that any of them are in. (laughs) But yes, this is about Disney. This is not about the specific people in this movie. The world of this movie is amazing. The art of it is absolutely amazing. The different areas and geographies and cultures we get to see are really, really wonderful and exciting. Like the cast, there has been criticism about this fictional world being an aggregation of a huge area that is home not to a single culture, but to a huge variety of cultures. And we don't get a story from any single one of those cultures in any single time period. Instead, it is in this fictionalized agglomeration of all of them. And that has some difficulties. But the world is really beautiful, and it shows the vast range of cultures in these areas. From these bustling riverside market towns to ornate cities. And it is so refreshing in every new setting to see that in this kind of movie. I really love that. What did you think about that? I enjoyed the world too. I recognize some of the critiques of it. And again, we will link that. Disney has done many movies with European princesses and specific princesses like Bella's French and Merida is Scottish. So having Raya be general Southeast Asian is notably different than that. And it is layered on an existing perception that Americans have of Asia being a mystical, inspecific place as opposed to the real world, which is only Europe. Right. And this is the same thing that Disney did with Aladdin and with Moana. Are you saying that Agrabah isn't all of the Middle East and North Africa. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, I mean, Disney does have a a history of doing this and they are repeating it in some sense. Although this is a much better depiction of Southeast Asia than Agrabah is of the general Middle East where people are starving and people's hands are going to get cut off. (laughs) And there's just, it's like wildly offensive. And this does feel more like they're trying to celebrate Southeast Asian cultures. But in doing it, they are kind of just throwing in everything that they can find and think of from all these different cultures Mm -hmm. to be like, look how great this is. Look how great this is. Look how great this is. And the thing is that it is all great, but it does reinforce the idea that it's all the same. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that I think the movie does really well is it creates a culture within this single fictional world, specifically the mythology around dragons. And I think what the movie's saying about mythology and the stories we tell and the way we understand them is really interesting. As an aside, that Raya at the beginning understands Sisu to be this great heroic dragon, and it turns out that isn't really the way it happened. But the way that mythology intersects with culture, I think is really fantastic in this fictional area. 
And you can see that through a lot of the small things, the animation, the gestures that people make, the poses that people strike, the things that people wear, the jewelry they have, the art that's created. I really appreciate the thought that was put in to what this culture specifically would be like based on its history and its specific folklore. The one thing that comes to mind the most is when characters make a circle with their hands, which happens routinely through the movie, and is done as a greeting, it's done as a sign of respect. Even though this movie is not based on any specific culture, I do think the way it thinks about culture generally and the things that create a culture and build a culture, the movie is thoughtful about that aspect. I agree with you. I think that's really interesting. And I think that with Sisu specifically and the mythology around Sisu, Mm -hmm. I think what you're getting at is really true. We hold up these mythic heroes Mm. and we have all these stories around them and this idea of who they are and they're larger than life. And then, you know, in reality, they're Aquafina, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. just doing Aquafina jokes. And I think that the movie underscores this in its theme, which we can kind of start to segue into. Yeah. But with Sisu, we really see that all the humans have this idea that she's the one dragon that saved the world. Mm -hmm. But she's very clear that it was not just her. It was her whole family. It was it was a group of them. And it's not just one person that does it. It's the team. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, mirrored in Raya and her her ragtag crew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I think that's that's a very moving thing when we see that the real magic really is entrusting each other and working together. That's just a really great commentary, especially in the princess movie trope and the one hero trope. Because I think that this the stories in our culture can have this main character syndrome where it's just one person acting essentially alone with sometimes the help of sidekicks, but they're the one who has to do it. And I think that the choice at the end where Raya gives her gem to Namari and Namari is the one who has to put it all together was a very important choice in underscoring this message that this is Raya's story, but she's not the only one. She's not ultimately the one to do it and everyone else turns to stone. That her heroic action is trusting someone else to act. That is such a good point. The hero's journey is the most famous trope, the most famous story structure within Western narratives and Western stories. It's probably the oldest one, and it's certainly the most well-worn one. This movie is certainly a take on the hero's journey, and I think that that adjustment is a really incredible one that adds a lot of depth and reflects that the story is so often told from a specific individualistic vantage point. And when taken outside of that vantage point, you can say some really interesting things about what it actually means to be a hero. Yeah, I really love that. And I really love what the movie is saying about trust in general. But what about you? What did you think about the theme? I was really interested by the political philosophy of this movie, because I think the movie is fundamentally talking about what is a society and how do you build a society and what do you need for a society to be built? And specifically saying you need trust, that all societies are built off of trust. And I think that's a really interesting idea 
in the history of political philosophy, at least the Western history that I'm familiar with, starting with Plato and Greece, moving to Rome and Italy with Machiavelli, and then up to England with Hobbes and Locke. And I think there's a lot of thought about trust in society and how necessary trust is for society. But most of that has been about how to create systems to enforce trust, to ensure that people are trustworthy in an inherently untrustworthy world. As Hobbes says in Leviathan, you need laws because laws are what build trust. You can't inherently trust the strong not to take advantage of the weak, but you create laws so that you can trust each other. There's a really interesting school of thought right now around religion, that religion developed after societies grew beyond the size of being able to have close connections. When you have close connections with everyone in your in your circle, which is about 150 people, you can understand that no one's going to cheat you. And when you don't have such small cultures, when you're trading with people across long distances, you need some way of trusting them. And that's how religions came about, that if you were one religion, if someone else was the same religion, that meant you could trust them. So there's been so much research and thought about how to ensure trust in an inherently untrustworthy world. And I really appreciate that this movie focuses not on enforcing trust, but on the openness for trust. At the root of everything is the need to be able to rely on other people. And that is what a society is built on, is being able to rely on people. Or else, truly, we are totally unsocial and we could never complete anything together in any facet of our society. And of course, again, this is just coming from my particular perspective and education in Western political philosophy. But I think that these ideas are really interesting and insightful about what makes society possible. Yeah, that's really interesting. I also think that it brings up a little bit of a problem we're facing now, which is the incentive to be divisive that exists largely in the media, but also in some other spheres. There are people with actual incentives to have us versus them mentalities. That makes trust so difficult because you need to fundamentally see the humanity in the other people in your society or else you can't do that. And if there are so many things saying, no, you can't rely on these people, you can't relate to these people, you can't fundamentally trust these people, it is a real breakdown. And I think that this movie is saying not just that that absence of trust is difficult or hard or not what you want. I think what this movie's saying is without that trust, our society will literally fall apart. And that's a pretty scary thought. So what do you think the movie is saying about trust? I think that the movie lays out what its thematic argument is through Sisu. Raya says to Sisu, the world is broken. You can't trust anyone. And Sisu says back, or maybe the world is broken because we don't trust anyone. And I think that, in a nutshell, is the argument that the movie is making. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a powerful message to share. I think it's very optimistic and hopeful about its idea of how the world really is. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a completely naive statement in the way it's presented either. Because Namari truly does betray 
Raya at first. That is why Raya has this trauma around trusting people in the first place. And Sisu is not necessarily saying that we should just blindly trust. She's saying that she sees Namari, they look into each other's eyes, and Sisu understands that beneath her anger and her loyalty to Fang and and the ideas that she has around what she should be doing, that Namari really does want the world to be better. And mm-hmm. and Sisu's kind of saying that that at the heart of it, everyone does want the same thing. Everyone does want the world to be better. And in communicating with each other and finding that connection and finding the humanity and trusting that if you give some of yourself, because Sisu talks so much about giving a gift. And I think that there's mm-hmm. A literal interpretation where she's bringing things to people, but it's also the gift of showing some of your own humanity and being vulnerable and really sharing where you're coming from. I think that Sisu's saying that if you do that, if you share that, then you have to trust that someone else is going to respond in kind, that someone else is going to open up their humanity to you and that you can find a way to work together. The movie notices a standoff where no one is willing to admit that they're at fault or that they have done things that are harmful, which I think represents our society pretty clearly and sees that no one is willing to make the first move. No one is willing to apologize first. And the movie is certainly arguing that you need to be the one to step forward and to trust. And if you don't, nothing can ever be fixed. That trust is the foundation on which you can build society back and build community again. And sometimes you're going to get burned, as Raya does in the beginning of the movie. And that really sucks. But if you never try again, you're stuck in a wasteland and there's nothing that you can do to come back from that. Yeah. And, you know, as I was watching it, I was kind of going back and forth between feeling like I really loved this message, but then also feeling like, I don't know if this is realistic because is trusting people going to make things better? Is that going to pay off? Or are you just going to get burned? And I kept feeling like I really, I want to believe what this message is. And I think what you're saying is true. On some level, you kind of have to believe it. You have to hold on to hope or else the world is too dark. I think that that is kind of what the movie left me with. Even more than its fully stated thematic argument about trust, it was just that you have to hope and you have to believe Mm -hmm. that the world can be better. And, you know, Disney is an evil corporation in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and has a long history of racist and sexist and anti-Semitic and just generally problematic content that they have pushed out into the world and just fed to all the children. So, you know, I, I don't have great feelings towards Disney necessarily at this point, but also Disney is the biggest producer of kid content, at least in terms of its significance in culture. We've talked about this earlier in this Pixar series and This is what kid media does at its very best, is it reminds us the importance of hope. And so I appreciated that, especially this week. Yeah, I totally agree. So is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? 
Um, this is like a tonal shift, <laughs> but I just want to say that I was expecting some songs and we didn't get any songs and I don't understand why we didn't get any songs. Wait, why were you expecting songs? Because it's a princess movie. Is it? Yes. Raya's literally a princess. I know, but I don't think it's a princess movie. I don't think I should say that it follows the Disney princess tropes. What tropes do you mean? I think most Disney princess movies are really focused around the princess specifically and the character arc of the princess and what the princess needs to do in order to save the world, have a romance, and live happily ever after. But it's really focused on her. And I don't necessarily think that Raya follows in those same footsteps because I don't think this is a coming of age story. I mean, the early ones, the princess is asleep for most of the movie. I suppose I'm talking mostly about the recent wave, starting around Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. Like the 90s and beyond. Up through Moana. Well, it's been a long time since I've watched Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid. It feels to me like those don't necessarily have arcs either. Um, If you really break down what they're learning and how they're changing. And I think most of the princess movies are about them having to learn how to fit into the world. Exactly. And Raya isn't learning how to fit into the world. She's learning how to change the world. Yeah. And that's great. That's incredible to see. I'm not saying that it should be devalued in any way. While this movie, yes, is a Disney movie, and yes, has a princess in it, I really appreciate that it is not about a woman learning to fit into her surroundings, but instead it follows a totally different trope, a totally different structure that is much more about the hero's journey and adventure and saving the world and having agency that in addition to the lack of songs that makes it fundamentally structurally different than the general princess genre. I mean, I think that the princess genre is not, it's a thing, but it's its also not an actual thing. You're saying that if it's got a princess in it and it's by Disney, it's in the princess genre. Yeah, but also that Disney has been redefining the princess genre again and again and again. That's what we think of. Yeah, totally. The 90s era was redefining the princess genre. It was certainly an improvement from the older stories of Sleeping Beauty and Snow White where they're asleep. Damsels in distress. Yeah. So this is another redefinition. And I think that Raya is similar to Moana in that they're they're going on a journey. They are heroes. They're concerned with something much bigger than just their romantic partner. And I think that that is another thing to be optimistic about. Disney, for better or for worse, has so much cultural influence. And in a lot of ways, they define what it means or at least what is expected of girls in our culture. So this is an improvement, and I'm glad to see it. I am really excited to talk more about the princess genre when we get to Brave. I think we'll save more of this conversation for then. But I am really looking forward to dissecting how that genre has changed over almost a century. Yeah. But I agree 
It was disappointing that there were no songs. There was a moment early in the movie that you turned to me. The music started to swell. I think she sang maybe one line and you looked at me and you're like, oh, we're about to get a song and uh, no dice, no dice. Yeah. Look, I think that for a lot of kids, the song is the most fun part when you're playing the characters yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wish that for this movie where they're they're talking so much about representation, I felt like Raya also deserved a really fun song about what she wants. <laughs> yeah. And kids everywhere deserve a chance to delve into that character and and sing the songs again and again and annoy their parents so much but the songs would just bring them so much joy unfortunately for our friends who are parents this is a podcast that is pro kids annoying their parents through princess songs well this has been a difficult week indeed and i hope that we could give you the listener some sort of comfort or escape And hopefully you felt the same way watching the movie. We certainly did. And we'll be back next week with your regularly scheduled Pixar programming. Stay safe. Stay well. We'll see you next week with Toy Story 3.